This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley. When my guest Ava DuVernay first read Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, she was so stunned she reread it two more times. The best-selling book draws a line between India's caste system, the hierarchies of Nazi Germany, and the historic subjugation of Black people in the United States. The book is academic in nature, 496 pages, filled with facts and historical notes. People told DuVernay, an acclaimed filmmaker, that it was too complex of a story to adapt into a film. But she did it anyway, writing and directing Origin. In the film, which is opening in theaters this week, DuVernay makes Wilkerson, played by Anjanu Ellis Taylor, the center of her own story as she explores how understanding the caste system can deepen our understanding of what Black people experience in America. In this scene from the movie I'm about to play, Blair Underwood plays a persistent editor who asks Ellis Taylor to write about the recent death of Trayvon Martin a tragedy that is impacting the nation at the time. The editor had recently given her the 911 calls of the shooting and now asks her if she's listened to them yet. Listen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah? Uh, It's a lot. There's a lot there. But longer form stuff, questions that I don't have the answer to. So ask them in a piece. I don't write questions. I write answers. Questions like what? Like, why does a Latino man deputize himself to stalk a black boy to protect an all-white community? What is that? The racist bias I want you to explore, excavate for the readers. We call everything racism. What does it even mean anymore? It's the default. <coughs> when did that happen? Brett. <laughs> Hey, so wait, so you, you're saying that, that he isn't a racist? No, I'm not saying that he's not a racist. I'm questioning why is everything racist? That was a scene from the new movie Origin, directed by today's guest Ava DuVernay. The question, what does racism even mean, sets Wilkerson on a path of global investigation and discovery. Ava DuVernay is an Academy Award nominee and winner of several awards, including an Emmy, BAFTA, Sundance, and Peabody Award. Her feature film directorial work includes the historical drama Selma about the life of Martin Luther King Jr., the criminal justice documentary 13th, and Disney's A Wrinkle in Time. She also directed the Emmy-nominated Netflix drama series When They See Us, based on the 1989 Central Park jogger case. Her 2016 documentary 13th explores the prison industrial complex and won a Peabody and was nominated for Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars. Ava DuVernay, welcome back to Fresh Air. I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Okay, so I want to put myself in the place where you were when you read Cast three times. So were you trying to understand how to adapt it for film, or were you trying to wrap your head around this idea of Cast? I think I was just trying to survive the pandemic. Mm. You know, I, I think of... Uh, it, it, it came out, the book, about two months after the murder of George Floyd yep. in the midst of a pandemic where I had recently lost someone I loved. And I was in my house. I wasn't working. I was not 
filming. I wasn't I wasn't doing the things that I usually do. My company was shuttered as was every other place. And the book had sat on my nightstand for a while. And, uh, you know, one of those pandemic days, you pick it up and you start to explore. And it drew me in, but I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. it was, it's a dense book. Yep. Um, and when I finally got through it, I wasn't satisfied with my retention of the theory, my, my real integration of it into my understanding. I, 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 I felt that I had a surface understanding. Yeah. And so I read it again. Uh, just to satisfy myself because it was being talked about a lot in social circles, you know, online and and amongst friends. Uh, and so when I finally read it a couple more times, I started to feel a story emerge. Mm-hmm. And the story really centered on the journey to tell the story. And yeah. it became a, a film about uh, a, a woman in pursuit of an idea. What was it about dramatizing it and film to approximate truth versus a documentary? I think I've heard you say that people sometimes, some people need dramatization to hold on to the humanity of a person or a storyline. Maybe news doesn't do it or maybe journalism or maybe even documentary doesn't always do it. Well, I mean, that's just me being a little biased because I'm in love, that's what you I'm do. In love with film. You know what I mean? I'm in love with film. And so for me, that's the kind of top format you know that that is the the, the art form that uh, gets inside my bloodstream and really really helps me orient myself to the world and organize my thoughts is cinema and so when i read something or i hear a story or there's something that i want to say i go to that method that way that sharing it's the image wilkerson found the word racism insufficient to capture what is like this rigid social hierarchy of the Jim Crow South in particular. And she found how Nazis were influenced and inspired by American racism. Had that been an idea that you had sat with or you knew before you read the book? No, did not know it. So I'm an African-American studies major, English major, UCLA. That's crazy. Read read quite a bit. Right. Um, Had not come across that bit of information that Nazis had been influenced and by the blueprint of uh, American South segregation policies yeah. uh, that actually they had sent kind of scholars and people to study it, to bring it back. So when I read it in her book, it was fascinating to me, but I had to go look at that stuff myself and read it myself. It's not widely known. And so there's certainly scholarship out there other than Isabel Wilkerson's that that, that shares that information, but none that, that is that I'd, I'd ever heard of. And so when I'm sitting there and I'm reading the actual notes, the actual transcriptions, the actual letters, it's, it's astounding. It's very matter-of-fact. And in some, and in some spaces, the, the Germans are shocked and surprised and appalled by some of the things that were done in America and said, mm, that's taken it a little too far. See, let, now that's crazy. Let, let's do it of. this yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, let's do it this way instead. Uh, I don't know if we can get away with that here. But we can do this, this, and this. It's really shocking. Um, but certainly that's a part of the book. And, and this is what I basically did is all of the parts in the book where my jaw dropped. <laughs> you included I, them I put in that the in the movie, yeah. I think the challenge that many Americans have in particular about this notion of caste as it relates to black Americans, unlike the Dalits in India, is that with Dalits, they can never surpass their lot in life. But... Black Americans, some would argue, you and I sitting here right now having a talk shows that we can actually move past that. The other side of it is that we might be the exception 
and not the rule? Well, it's challenging for me. But having read the book many times, studied the book, made the film about the book, my understanding of it is this. While you and I may be sitting here and we might be successful in our careers, what it has taken for us to be in these spaces is a different trajectory than what has taken what our white male counterparts have gone through to be in their spaces. In addition to that, outside of this space, when we're walking down the street, when we're in the department store, when we're in various spaces where our scholarship or careers or intellect is unknown and we're seen only by our outward-facing traits, it doesn't matter. And we are not on the same footing, and that's the way the society functions. And so that's uh, you know part of what her book, I believe, asked me as a reader to think about, is to really drill down into it and not allow ideas about it to kind of sit inside of sound bites and easy questions. But this is really insidious stuff that affects us all. Mm. And um, it's an invitation to address it, explore it, think about it. Side note, you know, I think this is the first time, this is the first film that I've ever witnessed a protagonist as a black woman intellectual. I know. It's one of the few. There's a film um, by an incredible uh, filmmaker who's no longer with us named Kathleen Collins. She was a filmmaker who came to her height in the 70s, I think maybe early 80s. Uh, she did a film called Losing Ground, and it's about a woman academic um, this is a film that, <laughs> sadly, very few people have seen. But they exist. But, I mean, when I can count them on less than one hand, we're talking about a real subgenre of films that we see in, in the Hollywood industrial complex, right? Man thinking, taking on the big subject, tackling an intellectual concept, traveling the world to figure it out. No one believes him, but he knows he is an intellectual warrior. Like, we can name 10 of those. There are a couple of big ones this year even um, that follow that trajectory. But put a woman in that place and tell me how many you think of where the main action is a woman thinking, mm -hmm. grappling with big ideas. That is what it's about. And now add a black woman to that. Um, the list gets uh, smaller and smaller. Sadly, much smaller. Yeah. So this movie starts with an opening scene of a boy depicted as Trayvon Martin. Trayvon was shot and killed by George Zimmerman while walking home from a convenience store in Florida in 2012. How did you make the decision to open the movie that way? Well, Isabel Wilkerson told me that the verdict around Trayvon Martin's murder was the impetus for her to start thinking about some of these ideas in a mm. concrete way. And I remember as she was sharing that with me, I thought, oh, wow, could it open on that? Could the spark that sparked her spark the film? And in um, really trying to stay close to and honor her process, her life, her genius, um, you know, I wanted to start where she started. Also, what, what Trayvon represents in the greater story, because what Isabel Wilkerson, the character in the movie, represents, what she's saying is, this is another black boy who was killed and... What does it mean? Like, we're just going to tack the word racism to describe what has happened. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out what this means at the root cause of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was an entryway into thinking more critically about 
experiences that we apply labels on that are, are outdated, that are not robust enough to hold their meaning and their import. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was attracted to the book. There are spaces in the book that I don't, parts in the book that I don't necessarily agree with, but I love thinking about it. Oh, you know like what? what? I mean? All kinds of things. Like, you know, it took me a really long time to, to wrap my mind around the idea that there's something underneath racism that's called caste. Mm. And, or you know, I know a lot of people kind of grapple with the book because it, they think that the premise is that's not race, it's caste. Cast, right. But that's not what she's saying. In my interpretation, she says that's not race only. It is also okay. caste. And unless you can dig down and understand the multiple levels of what this, is, this experience is made up of, you can't solve for it. Caste is underneath all of the isms, all of the ways in which we disregard one another, we organize ourselves, the hierarchies in our societies and in our cultures, it's underneath it. So it doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. It means the foundation, the root, the origin underneath is the very simple premise. Someone has to be better than someone else. Now let's organize why. Pick a reason. He's taller. She's white. This person's a man. This person lives and comes from this part of the world. This person has uh, all their body parts work this way. Whatever it is, mm. someone is, is, is better than another, and we organize ourselves as a society in terms of power uh, and justice and fairness around that random set of traits. Were there parts of your everyday life that you looked at differently after you understood this concept in the day-to-day -day hierarchies, you know, that— that are just part of our everyday lives. I did. I did. I think I, I would often, um, just in my own life, think, you know, that, that, that was racist, right? Yeah. What, what, has, what has happened or what was said or what. And, um, and to be able to, to dig a little further, it, it helped me make it less personal because race is really personal to me. You know, I mean, I've, I've grown up feeling like, um, you know, I, I walk through the world with a lens. My primary lens is race. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say my primary lens is race even more than than um, than um, gender. Uh, you know, certainly when I think about caste with that, um, it animates my thoughts about the way that I am moving through the world, being treated, being regarded in a different way, because beyond just seeing me as black, there's something else at work there in regards to where blackness lies and its value system and its, its feeling of safety and its feeling of, of, uh, of, of worthiness in any particular situation that, 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 that connects me to someone else who may be dealt with as lesser than or dangerous. I'm doing air quotes through all of this, right? Um, beyond my skin color, mm. Right, that that there are that there are commonalities, that there are connections. That mm. it helped me feel in, more in solidarity. You know, it, it helped me feel more connected to other people, to other plights, to other um, you know uh, other other folks that are outside of what is considered norm, normal, and valid and worthy. And in doing that, it expand expanded my worldview. Mm. And. Um, and but I still struggle with you know an event happens and I and I and I and I and I call what I think it is, and the uh, awareness of caste invites me to dig a little deeper. I read that you um, 
maybe change the hierarchies within your work, like on set? Was that mm-hmm. true? Like yeah. you thought about this after yeah, well, understanding it. I tried to apply it. it. I tried to just to, to just apply it and really look in my own space. So it's easy for me to say, oh, as a black woman, I'm lower on the hierarchy of America, and that's just what it is. But I'm not, uh, quote, unquote, lower caste in my company. I said, you know, how can I balance this out a little bit? Yes, I'm the head of the company. Yes, I run it, and I run my set, sets in a circular leadership fashion where it's not so much of a pyramid but more of, you know, me in the middle of a circle of people equally around me who have a voice. That's my, my, the way that I run things. But within that, I can say that everyone is in a circle, but if certain voices are prioritized or if certain people are made to feel more comfortable to even speak, what are the things that I can do to loosen that up and promote it? You know, you can have everyone around a a table in a circle, right? But, um, Am I doing the extra thing that makes that person who otherwise would be uncomfortable to speak, I might have to do a little extra for them to tell them, you are here at this table, speak when you want to speak, right? And so with that idea, my colleagues and I start to look at the ways in which we organize ourselves. And the biggest example and the most one of the most beautiful is um, with my cinematographer, Matt Lloyd. We started to talk about how could we deal with cast on our sets. And he said, you know, when I look at a film set and a crew – there's a hierarchy embedded in the very names in which we call each other by our, our titles, by our position titles. And we have A-cam and we have a B-cam. We have, um, you know, basically junior people, and, and they're all called these things. So as they come to the table, they're already defined, and they're already told at that circular table. Who's important. Who's important. Yeah. And so we tried to break those down, and he did an incredible job in his department of renaming everything. There was no first camera and second camera. There was an east camera and a west camera. And um, and there were lots of little ways that we just tried to address and play with and push against this idea of caste, simply in the idea of how do we organize ourselves. Love is such a strong through line. Mm, I'm glad that you point that out. In this film. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I caught it because I watched it twice. Mm. And of course, it was it was there and obvious the first time. But the second time, I was able to see that through line of love, mm-hmm. not to spoil the movie, mm-hmm. but Isabel Wilkerson's husband dies early on, but his presence is so there throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. And what he represents is a breaking of caste. They're a biracial couple. Mm-hmm. And he makes that decision to be with her. Um, and she makes the decision to be with him. And we see that throughout the movie. That's one real simplistic way of breaking caste. Yeah. In, in Isabel Wilkerson's book, she speaks uh, in a lot of detail about the idea of endogamy, that idea of endogamy, that idea of um, who we are allowed to love. And that's a big part of her, uh, her you know, her thesis, her premise as she's uh, – sharing her ideas about caste with us and and teaching us about it, the idea of endogamy being just a a, a key pillar, you know, the foundational element of organizing folks in a certain way is regulating who can love who and who can uh, live life together. And once you start to regulate that, everything else starts to kind of follow that downward slide once you say, you two have to be together and you two cannot be. And that's a big part of the modern conversation about caste. Our guest today is award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay. We're talking about her new film, Origin. We'll continue our conversation after a short break. I'm Tanya Mosley, and this is Fresh Air.
This is Fresh Air's Anne-Marie Baldonado. If you're already a Fresh Air Plus supporter, you may have heard Terry talking about the first daily national broadcast of the show in 1987. It was still like making a national debut both to the audience and to program directors because we weren't on that many stations to start with. Dave Davies talking about his job driving a cab. This is a fascinating city of many diverse neighborhoods, and it was fun to just tool around in a cab all day. Or archival interviews with people like Arthur Miller, Nina Simone, and Audrey Hepburn. Timing you can't rehearse. It's an instinct. Mm -hmm. Especially comedy. I mean, that's what made Cary unique. That's why there haven't been a whole lot of Cary Grants. Are you not a Fresh Air Plus supporter yet? You could be. Subscribe on plus.npr.org or on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices, and they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley, and I'm talking today to filmmaker Ava DuVernay about her new film, Origin, which she wrote and directed. It's based on the best-selling book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Isabel Wilkerson. DuVernay has written and directed several films and documentaries, including Middle of Nowhere, I Will Follow, Selma, and Disney's A Wrinkle in Time. She's also the director of the Netflix drama limited series, When They See Us, based on the 1989 Central Park jogger case. DuVernay holds many firsts, including the first Black American woman to win the Best Director Prize at the Sundance Film Festival for her second feature, Middle of Nowhere, and the first Black female director to be nominated in 2014 for a Golden Globe Award, receiving a nomination for her film Selma. Her new film, Origin, opens this week in theaters. Well, the entire film is visually stunning, and there are three scenes that probably will forever be a part of my consciousness. I'm going to talk about two with you, though, and we're going to play some clips from them. Um, The first one is the scene in India where you recreated this degrading job of a a Dalit man, um, 
who in real life has to submerge himself in a public toilet trench to clean it. And as part of the caste system, the Dalit people are considered the lowest in society. So this is a job that he, that is his job, his lot in life. Wilkerson, played by Anjanu Ellis Taylor, describes the life and work of the Dalits in this scene we're going to play, um, who used to be called the Untouchables. Let's listen. Millennia ago, Dalits were called the Untouchables of India. Enforced into the degrading work of manual scavenging, the practice of cleaning excrement from toilets and open drains by hand in exchange for leftover food. The only thing that they have to protect their bodies is oil, each other, and their prayers. To refuse is to invite severe punishment or death. This persists to this day. That was a scene from the movie Origin, written and directed by my guest Ava DuVernay. Ava, this scene is so unbelievably powerful. And in the theater where I watched it, everyone gasped at the same time when we actually saw the image. Because this man is literally stepping into what looks like human excrement. Can you describe the process of shooting it? Yes. Well, you know, this scene um, was one that was shocking to me in learning about the fact that there are people to this day um, whose profession is that of manual scavenging. And manual scavenging is exactly as described in the clip. And so um, I wanted to show and share um, what that looks like and what it takes for a human being to uh, be required, expected to degrade themselves, to perform that service, just to eat, just to exist. So the uh, process was one that I take very seriously in all of my work, which is there's no way that I'm ever doing anything um, without permission of the people involved who mm-hmm. I am trying to uh, portray, if I am talking about a person in, in, in who has actually lived, I have made efforts to contact their family. If I am talking about someone who is alive, I have been in conversation or communication with them. Um, it, it must be done. And so in this, if I am portraying Dalit people, it was important to me that Everyone who was playing a Dalit person was a Dalit. And um, and with these particular men, um, I wanted to find people who actually did, that, did job. that job. So what you're watching are men who, that is what they do. That is how they live. And so I went to an advocacy group, um, and they had two men who were willing to do to you know perform the 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 um the act on camera and um they came and and one of the things that I'll, I'll always remember is when they came and they saw what our production design had created we were in Delhi and of course I'm not having any human being get an excrement we had created what was needed for the scene with 
oatmeal and food coloring. So that wasn't. Of course, no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not lowering anyone into it. And so I came to them, and uh, they came over to the to the set area. And through a translator, I was describing what it was. And the man looked at me. I got emotional thinking about it. He looked at me, and he said through the translator, uh, "I think we should do it for real." Hmm. And his point was, people must know what is happening. Will this look real? They have to know. He couldn't. They need to see the truth. They need to see the truth is what he was saying. And I, I promised him. And so it took a little convincing to have him um, go into the safe set. Um, but but it was just um, a, I would say, beautiful watching. Um, the beauty in it was the humanity between the two men and the care that they had for one another. Yes. You got that? It was such a powerful scene because, of course, visually seeing someone step into excrement is shocking. But the beauty of it was his partner yes. putting the oil on his body to protect him. Mm-hmm. And they do that as a ritual every time. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's what moved you, too. That's what moved me, too. And that's what we're trying to get at. Yes, you're going to see tough stuff. But within it, that, that, that is life. That is, that is our world. It's the tough stuff, but it's the beauty in the midst of that. And that communion and that connection between these two men and the care that they had for one another in this degrading circumstance. Like, you can watch that scene, but what shocks people in the scene is, is yes, he, he drops into this horrible place, but what, what people are also experiencing is the camaraderie, the love that actually protects them, that allows them to survive and come out and do it again another day. Yeah. And so I, I think that he that's— He steps w- out, and his friend is there. His partner is there yeah. with a cloth to wipe his, his face. face. Yes, yes. And yeah. so th- those, are, those are moments worthy of being rendered, moments worthy of being seen. My guest is filmmaker Ava DuVernay. Her new film, Origin, is based on the best-selling book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Isabel Wilkerson. We'll continue after a short break. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, offering flowering shrubs and evergreens, trialed and tested by expert horticulturists for 8 to 10 years to ensure a beautiful, high-performance display in the landscape or garden. All it takes is a bit of TLC to transform a dull yard into one that's full of color, texture, and life. Available in the distinctive white containers at garden centers nationwide. Or discover the possibilities at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor KeyBank. At KeyBank, they believe in delivering for their clients. Whatever the economic turn, KeyBank is primed to collaborate and help create solutions tailored to your ideas and your vision. With nearly 200 years of banking experience, they know a lot about being a trusted advisor. And whether you're managing growth, seeking solutions, or improving your bottom line, KeyBank is ready to be yours. KeyBank opens doors. Learn more at key.com slash advisor. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. 96% of users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Save time with one click and go from editing drafts in hours to seconds. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions to help your team make their point and move faster. Make a bigger impact at work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. This is Fresh Air. 
Let's get back to my interview with Ava DuVernay about her new film, Origin, which is based on the best-selling book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Isabel Wilkerson. DuVernay wrote and directed the films Middle of Nowhere, Selma, Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, and the Netflix limited series When They See Us. DuVernay is the founder of the distribution film company Array, which focuses on films made by women and people of color. Another powerful scene is the Nazi book-burning rally in Berlin. And in the scene I'm about to play, the sequence melds the past with the present. Wilkerson is in Germany as part of her research, and a guide is telling her about this time period in 1933 in which Nazis in Berlin burned books by Jewish writers and intellectuals. Um, They are in that plaza where a memorial has been created, and the guide is describing what happened, and then we hear from the past the chaos of the event. Let's listen. In Germany, there's memorials to nearly everyone victimized by the Nazis. And there's no entry sign, no no gate. It's just open, both day and night. Just standing to bear witness. Twenty thousand books were lost that night. Books filled with imagination and ideas and history. The clip you just heard is a recreated scene of a 1933 book burning in Berlin, Germany, from the movie Origin, written and directed by my guest, Ava DuVernay. This is such a vivid scene. Um, And we're watching men throwing books into the fire, and there's a moment where we just see rows and rows of empty shelves. Um, You shot this in the center of Berlin. And I, I just want to also know a little bit more about the process of creating this scene because, you know, the wounds are still there. Mm-hmm. And so you're recreating something that is of, of great importance and tragedy for for that area. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, this was this was one of the sequences that I'm the most proud of. This film was made completely outside of the studio system. So it was made independently. Um, and it was made by a small black woman-owned, black people-run company. Um, It was me and my producing partner, Paul Garns, and that was it. That's where the buck stopped. And I say that for people who may not understand what the studio system provides. The studio system provides departments and departments of people who help support a movie, insurance. The dolly broke, the crane broke, great. We'll send over another one. Permits, permissions, protections, security, all of those things. Without a studio, you don't have it. Um, Also without studio, you don't have anyone breathing down your neck, anyone pinching pennies, anyone saying, we don't think this will work, anyone saying, oh, don't do it in Germany, do it here so Mm -hmm. we don't have to go, and you have freedom, Mm -hmm. right? And so we, uh, you know, uh, pivoted from protection and embraced our passions and went out, and we found ourselves as two African-American independent producers in Germany uh, and asking the city of Berlin to allow us to photograph and film uh, a recreation of a book burning on the actual site where it happened. That was our request. Yeah. 
And we got a yes. So we shot this scene on Beeble Plots, and this is a square um, in which there is an actual monument to this book burning. And the mm. monument is called the Empty Library, where you can look down into the ground. There's a hole in the ground, a square in the ground, where you look down into rows and rows of white, empty bookshelves to commemorate and symbolize the books that were burned. And so we cre- recreated the whole book burning on that plaza and to stand there on that cobblestone and to know that that had happened in that place and that I uh, was able to, with my comrades, tell the story to a modern audience so that that moment is not forgotten and that moment is connected to experiences that we are having right now, where we are, uh, wherever in the world you are. The idea that um, ideas and imagination is at risk, the idea that uh, books are dangerous. The idea that we can forget about um, our past lives by just taking them off the shelves. Including uh, Isabel Wilkerson's book. Including her own book. Because her book is on several book Banned books lists, yes. Yeah. The symmetry of that, the, the pain of that, the beauty of that was not lost on us. You're at the top of your game. You are Ava DuVernay, so you're at the top there along with other filmmakers where you had a $100 million project with A Wrinkle in Time, and you're talking about independent filmmaking. It's different, right? I think, yeah, no, it's definitely different, but you have to consider the kind of film that I was trying to make. So consider the pitch meeting. So I take it out of Netflix, and I go to where? Let's say I go to Warner Brothers. I didn't, but let's say I go to a, a studio, and I say, hi. I walk in, and they say, Ava, so good to see you. Yeah. Oh, good to see you guys, too. We said we wanted to work together. Yeah, what's the pitch? Well, I want to make a film about cast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's just not, you know, on its face, I know enough about my industry to know that that is not an easy pitch, that that is not something that I wanted to spend two, three, five, ten years of my life on trying to get done. And that just said, let's try it a different way. I was really uh, interested and adamant about this film being out for an election year. I wanted this film to contribute to and be a part of a conversation and a wrestling with and an interrogation of and an excavation of where we are as a country. And in order to do that, I believe we need new language. Uh, we need to become fluent in, in, in concepts and constructs that we currently are not. And we need to be able to call a thing a thing and drill down into it. And so it was very important to me that this film uh, be made uh, in a certain amount of time and that it reach people while folks were considering the future of our country. Are awards important to you? It's interesting. It's interesting you're asking me that. Should I answer honestly or not on NPR's Fresh Air? You should. You I don't should. know. I'm grappling with it right now. You're grappling with I it. I am. I really am. It's been so... What's the, what's the thing that's... I'm grappling with, hmm, how to say, I'm grappling with my own shame in the wanting And I'm disappointed in myself that I am feeling that the film is not achieving those industry benchmarks. It is happening because of uh, forces outside of my control. But ultimately— What do you mean? Forces outside of my control that I can't speak of. But ultimately, the game that's played, the game the that's scenes on yeah, what, yeah. what movies get elevated Absolutely. to be considered. And the reasons why and, yeah. and what is needed to, mm. to, to participate in all of that. And this film doesn't have it. And so it's been interesting for me to— Like a big studio backing that's and right, stuff like that's that. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. And so it has uh, been 
um, surprising to me and somewhat alarming to me for myself that it has um, hurt uh, and it has surprised me how much I am hurt by the fact that Andrew Ellis Taylor is not being recognized for that work. When, you know, it breaks my heart. I should feel that she should have every flower. Yeah. This is how I felt for David Oyelowo and Selma. You know, it, I felt like I felt like, you know, what, why? And as I've I, as I've moved through the industry, I I've, I understand the why, but it doesn't make it any tougher. And 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 so it, it really makes me lean more into the independence, more into what matters, Ava. What matters is. There's not a screening that I have for this film and a Q&A that I have for this film where someone does not walk up to me, lock eyes with me, touch my hand, and tell me what it meant. Tell me what they got from it. Tell me what, how they felt. Like Nothing else matters. Let's take a short break. If you're just joining us, my guest is filmmaker Ava DuVernay. We're talking about her new movie, Origin, based on the best-selling book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Isabel Wilkerson. We'll continue our conversation after a short break. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep at night. Mattress Firm's sleep experts receive 200-plus hours of training annually to help you get your best rest. Upgrade your sleep with a Tempur-Pedic mattress made with a one-of-a-kind, infinitely adaptable temper material for exceptional support to help alleviate aches and pains. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with Ava DuVernay about her new film, Origin, which is based on the best-selling book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Isabel Wilkerson. DuVernay wrote and directed the film's Middle of Nowhere, Selma, Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, and the Netflix limited series When They See Us. You actually toyed around with being a journalist after college. And I'm just curious, what kind of journalist had you envisioned yourself? Did you, did you yes, think about it? Yes, I was about, very specific. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to produce broadcast news. I had an internship with CBS News with Dan Rather and Connie Chung at a very small time where they sat together. And they sat together during the, the start of the O.J. Simpson trial. And I was an intern there. And I remember going into the newsroom and having my pass to walk into the CBS News West Coast Bureau and just thinking, this is it. What changed? <laughs> I was an O.J. Simpson unit intern. <laughs> and I was sitting outside of a juror's house. And... Uh, and it, it, I think it, I really do track it to a year where things turned, you know, in terms of the public interest in celebrity 
and in the salaciousness of that. And it was at the very beginning of it, and I became disenchanted rather quickly and thought this isn't what I thought it was, and it's not what I want to do. For those who don't know, in your 20s, you opened and ran your own public relations agency. And I've heard you say you were fearless Mm -hmm. during that time. You look back at yourself like, wow, who was that girl? I don't even know what she was doing. Yeah. That's wild. Opened my own agency at 27, had studio clients, represented every major studio in town, um, and films. I was a film publicist, so I, I... didn't represent people. I represented the film that the, that the talent that the actors were in, and got to just construct campaigns for movies. I love movies, so uh, it's it, it was it was a beautiful career. And if I wasn't making films, I'd still be doing that or waitressing. Well, it was waitressing. Oh, I, I was a fantastic waitress. I was great. I'm what pr- do you mean? Like, I was a waitress all through college. Right. But you loved it so much you could see yourself doing it? I, I will always be okay in this world. I may not be able to always make films, and I may not be able to get someone to give me money to publicize their film. But I am telling you, waitressing <laughs> it was a beautiful, beautiful time for me. You get to meet people. You get to present yourself as a different character at every table if you want. (laughs) You get to interact with people, and you get the opportunity to make money on every table. That's true. It's fantastic. It was on the set of Michael Mann's film Collateral, when you were a publicist, Mm -hmm. that you first considered making your own film. Mm -hmm. What was it about that that set, that Mm -hmm. storyline, um, man that mm-hmm. made you say this something this is something I could do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was it was it was it was a bunch of different things he was shooting Michael Mann the great director uh, was shooting on digital cameras and at that time you know, digital cameras were not being widely used in the studio system this was a studio movie big studio movie Tom Cruise is the lead in this really really great film and so they're shooting on digital cameras, and they're just moving faster. D- you know, the digital cameras move faster, less reloads of film in the in the camera. Like all, everything's just moving at a at a different pace. And so I recognized that, noticed that, and was interested in learning about the digital cameras and their ease. You know, come to find out, obviously the the advent of the independent film genre as we knew it in the late '80s, early '90s is all very very steeped in digital work. So that was inspiring, and it's and it's cheap. Right. So that was an entry point. The other thing is he was shooting in all of these parts of Los Angeles that are predominantly uh, black and brown parts of L.A. that I was very familiar with. South Central, East L.A. You know, he is he is in Watts. He's in in Compton. He's in where me and my friends lived and where, oh, I went to the club there. or Oh, I that's that's my mom's favorite bakery or whatever. And um, and so I felt like, wow, this big filmmaker shooting in these spaces with these cameras and then. I can do that. Hmm. Can I not do that? And so just just that that math of, wait, he's here and these cameras are available, you know. And then, you know, it's, it's Tom Cruise. It's it's Javier Bardem. It's Jada Pinkett. It's Jamie Foxx. It's Mark Ruffalo. And it's like all of those people are in these areas and they're shooting with these cameras. Well, if they're doing it, then maybe I can do it. And there was something in that. I was a publicist. I had a, a, a company. I, I, I don't know what crazy thing got into my head to think – well, if you're interested in it, why don't you give it a try? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's the folly of youth. Yeah. But also, you stepped into it with such purpose. Um, the types of stories that you decided to tell right from the start, um, you kind of had a very clear vision, it seems like. Mm-hmm. 
Did you play at all? Was there a playing before you got to some of the films that we know you for? Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'm going film to film. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm going film to film with hopes that the door is still open for me to make the next film. That's how I worked for a very long time. Um, that's why I'd, I made so much in the first 10 years. I, was, I had a fear that the door would close and I would not be allowed to make for, more. So I would be in post-production, which is the end of one movie, and in pre-production, which is the start of the next movie at the same time, which is, you know, it's very hard to do, but I did it four or five times mm. um, because I never wanted there to be a gap where I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't open back up again. I, I had an idea in my head that if I stack them that way, that they can't stop me because by the time they look up, I'm already halfway through the next one, and. You know, there might have been some truth to it. I don't know. It's not true for me anymore. I don't, yeah, you I, don't work that way anymore, do you? Well, as of this film, so this is the very first this film. This is the first one. Origin is the first film since I started making films in 2010 that I don't have a film after. Huh. How does it feel? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It feels really good. It feels really good. And I, I kick myself a little like, oh, why did it take you so long? Um, but it's okay. It feels great now, and I'm going to take my time and figure out what I want to do next. Ava DuVernay, thank you so much for this conversation and this film. I love sitting with you. Thank you for having me. Ava DuVernay is the director of the new film Origin. It opens in theaters this week. Tomorrow on Fresh Air, Tripping on Utopia. We speak with history professor Benjamin Breen about the early scientific research into psychedelic substances. Pioneering anthropologists Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson hope to unlock human potential through mind expansion. But their research led to secret CIA experiments using psychedelics for interrogation. I hope you can join us. To keep up with what's on the show and get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. You inherit me. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Salad, Phyllis Myers, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krinzel, Heidi Saman, Teresa Madden, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Nyakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.B. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. For Terry Gross, I'm Tanya Mosley. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 